0: And here it is.
1: Now they are All Ireland champions for the third time. What does the dog captain Brian Gartland, Westmead legend John Heslin, and the one and only Paddy Keenan have in common? Well, they're all on this week's Loud and Proud podcast. That's what. I picked the brain of these three athletes during the week, and I have the full interviews to come. Before we begin, I need your help. Loud and proud need you to make it better. Now is your chance to be honest with me. Fill out the survey. The link is on my Facebook, Instagram, Twitter page. It's easy to find. I have it on the link here as well. It'll take as long as a quick kick out to do. Okay, back to the, today's podcast. We start when John Hesden ribs me about not having a picture of Paddy Keenan on my wall. It's a nice picture, Dan. Is that above the bed? <laughs> I thought you might have a picture of Paddy
0: Keenan that- up there Go on wall. <laughs>
1: No, 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 I the, the Paddy Keenan mural is on the side of the house. We we don't do small <laughs> photographs right here.
0: Unfortunately, I had no printer, I was going to print one up and put it on my wall, but actually, I, I have that in the gear bag. Use, use it as motivation. <laughs>
1: um, you don't, you don't have a jersey or anything, no, you've probably played against each other. Uh,
0: yeah, he never gave me his jersey. Well, usually, when I was Mark and Paddy, I would have had the jersey pulled off him already, already so there wasn't much of the jersey <laughs> left to hand back.
1: I know, I've been that soldier myself, actually. Thanks, thanks a million, Shane, for uh, the opportunity for Loud and Proud to pick the brains of these three men, three elite athletes. I suppose on behalf of Loud Coaching and Games, uh, folks, I hope you get something from it and enjoy the chat. We'll start with yourself, Paddy. I thought your sleepless nights over Loud GA or over? It's, it's uh, very early in the morning there in Australia, is it? Yeah, half
2: four in the morning here, so i um, sitting here with a cup of coffee. So hopefully that keeps me... Keeps me awake for for an hour or so.
1: And rumor had it, you're keen. You're you're very keen. Even last night to get going. You, you,
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. You think at this stage I'd learn the uh, the difference in the the, the time zones and the dates and everything else. So I even changed work around yesterday to, to get off for this. <laughs> I didn't I didn't need this. So anyway, we'll forget about that.
1: I come here. You're down. you How long are you down there? Or are you planning to stay down there? Or uh,
2: what's, uh, what's the, yeah? We're, we're here, Sorry. but. Six months or so give or take and um, we arrived over in november so um we'll probably do it two years Um karen still has she still has her job back in in the dock back next september september 2021 so um we'll probably be back sometime maybe maybe this time next year summer summer 21 so try and get it hopefully the restrictions lift fairly soon and we can get a bit a bit of traveling done but um it's kind of out of our hands at the minute things are things are slowly starting to lift here so um yeah, hopefully we'll get we we'll get moving fairly fairly soon.
1: Yeah, and similar to ourselves, and I suppose, Brian, you're, you're, you're back to work on Monday.
3: Uh, Monday week, we're, we're back in in small groups. We were hoping to be back last Monday, and uh, that was put a stop to by the FEO the weekend, um, which I suppose we were sort of puzzled because four of us can go down to the park and do a session together, but four of us yeah. can't go into a gated area in Oriel with sanitization and every protocol under the sun um, so we have to wait till June the 8th and then we're back in and you can train a small group so um, you might have one one pitch one on the other pitch and motor on like that so just itching to get back at this stage you know.
1: Yeah I was just going to say itching to back and one man that isn't, hasn't uh, given up the day job is John you're, you're a farmer but is your, I suppose that be your your background You're, you haven't given up the day the day job with all these covert restrictions
0: no i'm uh, i'm actually working i work with a company called msd animal health so we uh, we look after a range of vaccines and antibiotics for cattle and sheep so that's that's been going as well we've been working from home for the last number of weeks as most of the country have um, and as you mentioned Dan, the farming continues so we have to uh, obviously provide a service to veterinarians and farmers and then I farm part-time myself, so enjoying the good weather at the moment, uh, great great to be out and about. Um, like, like every other farmer, never really happy and could do with a bit of rain, but I don't think there would be too many <laughs> people happy with me saying that, but uh, that's, that's the way it goes.
1: I think that's why Paddy's in uh, Australia, to get away from the rain up in Lordship. It's supposed it's, it's, it's brilliant, though, this time of year to be out farming, like, regardless of the restrictions, to be out there and in the fresh air. It uh, doesn't stop your training anyway.
0: No, like, look, I think that uh, if you're following anyone on social media, well, I suppose my, my social media stream will be very different than a lot of yours. But, you know, my, a lot of my posts will be from farmers and, you know, they're really blessed and, and, and feel how lucky they are during these current times. Because, you know, there are people restricted their movement and things like that. Um, But with the farm that you have a lot of open space and even myself, I'm free, free to travel back to the farm because, you know, if you come to a checkpoint or whatever, uh, farming is an essential service providing obviously food to food to people so no it's 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 great and we're very lucky plenty of hard work going on mind you but uh lucky to have it all the same
1: yeah and you're speaking of food there i think everyone at, in the, at this stage is either um looking after the sour, sourdough or the banana bread would you be the same paddy would you be into all that sort of a uh, home cooking and baking
2: yeah i'm i'm big into cooking actually um and cracked on with a bit more i do a, a good. If I do say so myself, I do a good uh, banana bread every cup every couple of days. So there's a new one cracked out yesterday. So um, yeah, that's that's keeping us busy enough as well. So uh, but like, but like John, myself, uh, myself and Carney on the farm here as well at the minute. So uh, I might have to stay on for for a few minutes after and get a get a few tips from him. So uh, it's better it's, be, it's better than a few digs that I usually get from. Him, but uh, yeah, so might might have a chat with him
1: after this. And the importance of nutrition, lads, in in your career with yourself, Brian. You might have uh, a nutritionist looking after that side of things for you. But how important is the role of nutrition with you as a as an elite sports person?
3: yeah it's it's vital especially depends on the certain times of the season more so like um i suppose i've after dropping a few kilos myself and i i know my own body inside out i know how i put on weight and, and drop weight sort of thing but um from say yesterday i started with working with nutritionists just because i wanted to try something different and something new and like the lads will tell you you can never stop learning about your own body so that's where nutritionists is is massive that way that they can help you but um yeah, I think most elite athletes will know what they should have and what they shouldn't have. It, it's the discipline in the end that I suppose is the difference in lads uh, because people will say, you know, every Joe Soap will know what's crap to put into you and what's good. It's in the end just sort of, I suppose, being honest with yourself and saying, right, I should have that or I shouldn't have that and, uh, and managing your, your thing with discipline. So, um, yeah, it's it's vital because I think people realise now that even if you're trying to drop weight, uh you can do it without doing exercise if you just have your nutritional points point so
1: has that um, been hard not to put on weight or keep picking away at the food when you're in lockdown
3: um first few weeks i was in control of myself so it was brilliant and i uh i dropped dropped two three kilos straight away wasn't fueling for performance so yeah you could cut out a certain type of meals for and,
0: performance. Good.
3: um <laughs> So, uh, so when you're not fueling for performance, you can obviously. I needed to perform in the training I'm doing every morning, but you know, there wasn't that match day where you, it's vital that you have it on point. So, uh, That's
0: with that, out.
3: it's vital that I could, uh, I could
0: he's
3: drop a few kilos that. easy, easy Chris that way. There, yeah. And but, then um, another
0: lad there, uh, John Heslam, he's from Wellington. Someone I think has the mic on there.
1: Someone has the mic on. I think it's, I, I think it's you, Hugh.
0: Once he doesn't tell me what he thinks of me as a footballer, we're all
1: right. <laughs> only compliment so far. Before he <laughs> mutes to,
3: could have been worse yeah. yeah. <laughs> there. But, but yeah, when you're not fueling for performance, I suppose the thing is you can you can reduce your calories and you might be a little bit more tired in the training you're doing. Uh, but then you have to get around that, learn and and time your nutrition so that you're fueled well for those training sessions. And the rest of the day, you might be a little bit bit laggy in terms of that but um so yeah from the lockdown i found that great in terms of controlling myself and getting myself into the same into the condition i wanted to that way
1: is that how you um found the love of food paddy is like true looking meticulously at your diet when you were playing
2: yeah i suppose especially when you're you know you're maybe maybe living at home and you know with with all due respect as a Supposed top top level player at any in any sport or any code, you know, you, you can't just eat the same as a as a normal person. You have to eat a little bit differently, whether that's eating more, you know, obviously getting, you know, more carbs, more protein and and again as as Brian said, depending on the on the time of year, you know, depending on your, your training load, your game load, you know, you might need to take that little bit extra. So I kinda of took it upon myself kind of early enough in my career to do kind of most of my own cooking, a lot of my own cooking, just purely from that point of view. But even now, if I look back at, you know, what I was eating when I was twenty one as opposed to thirty one, there was a there was a big difference and a large part of it is is the education around it. You know, I I was lucky enough, like I'm sure the two boys as well, you know, working with different nutritionists and Guys who can, you know, help them with cooking and all that sort of stuff, and and knowing the science around it, you you do pick up more and more. Um, you know, you you and you know your body as well. You know what you need. Um, I know I know for myself. Um, you know, playing in midfield, you were doing so much running that I find it even hard to keep the weight on. Never mind, you know, losing a, losing a few pounds. because because of the miles you were clocking up on the pitch in a training, and um, and you know you're, you're playing against midfielders that are maybe six foot four six foot five who were 14 15 stone you know I was struggling to get up to you know even maybe 13 and a half stone at the, at the time so you know it took a lot of work diet wise and nutrition wise to make sure you were getting the right stuff in to to keep the weight on and, and and keep the energy levels up for for playing around the middle of the field. so you know a lot of it is around is around the, the, the education of it. Um, and thankfully, you know the likes of Loud, the Westmeads, the Dundalks, and um, you know the, the the higher level teams, um, you know do have good nutritionists and and good uh, food scientists around to help help young players out. Which you know maybe we wouldn't have had so much back in back in the early days of of my Loud career.
1: Well, you touched on it there in terms of education. Um, they say if you're not if you look back and what you were doing years ago, and it hasn't changed you're not doing it right, so you're having making the a good point there, 31-21. John, I hear you're a keen chef, you're a serious man to cook a bit of beef.
0: Yeah, no, I have a, I have a keen interest in it as well. Um, I think that I, I was very lucky from an early age, I played, played a good bit of soccer and was introduced to kind of the importance of nutrition um, early on and kind of brought that with me into football. And then, as Paddy mentioned, you're you're introduced to the experts in the field because no matter what research you're looking into, um, you know, nutrition that you do, um, somebody who studied it in college and then gets involved with your team, they're obviously going to bring that that knowledge with them. um, And then also their experience because they're dealing with it day in, day out. Then, as Brian mentioned, you know, not every um, meal plan or or dietary plan works um, the same for everybody. Um, And that that was a key finding for us as well, because over the years you kind of change nutritionist and, one nutritionist might have you know the high carb uh, high protein as patty mentioned or one might follow the uh, kind of mark of a keto diet where it's high fat high protein um and that worked for some lads and the high carb worked for others and um you know you have to tailor around your training and um, you know ga has very has gone very much down the route of you know a fairly intense pre-season um and you have to eat very different in pre-season as you do during the season because during the season you're playing a game on a Sunday and the, the sessions say during the league aren't as intense uh, on a Tuesday during the league aren't as, a ten- as intense as a Tuesday say during pre-season so your nutrition has changed dramatically but I think it's all about balance as well like I, I certainly look forward to after the game where you can indulge a little bit and eat more like that normal person the Paddy had mentioned whether that that be a pizza or an ice cream or, or, or both um, whatever you're into yourself but uh, I certainly do enjoy my food and uh, I like a bit of beef uh, in in particular,
1: yeah. So I can't recommend that enough. You you might have to mute me now for the next question. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask this to Brian. I've seen a fellow centre half, um, Chris and He's changed his diet now to plant based veganism diet for in terms of recovery and tendonitis. Would you would you go that that extreme? Would you push your body to yeah, eat whatever that, you want? That uh, took
3: a something? that took a big sort of launch there last year after that Netflix. Uh, documentary yes, sorry yeah. i'm trying to remember the name of it um uh, game
1: changers
3: was it game changers that was the one So yeah. after that documentary it like that was all the craze and all the thing and i suppose you need to look into behind like when you say with these nutrition crazes um you look into who's funding it who's directing it you've got lewis hamilton people like that that are all vegan and you, you got to see what i suppose for uh, just education out there like patty said who's behind oh. these and what's the purpose of them going out um, because there's always money at stake especially if something's that big uh, there wasn't like I suppose the stuff they're throwing out you, you can't argue if someone says I feel this, it's their opinion but um, no I love me steak and my chicken and I tried to reduce it a little bit Um, mainly because I was on like the lads talked about there in 2015-16 when we were high up in Europe we would have been trained low play high in terms of carbs um, so you would have had a, a high protein diet then. I would have had a lot higher then, and I suppose, like I said, if I wanted to drop a little bit of weight, uh, be more athletic instead of, I suppose, aesthetic. Um, that's why I dropped maybe a little bit of the portions of, of meat I ate. But uh, yeah, still I wouldn't be able to go
2: go on that.
1: Have you have you ever gone vegan or anything like that?
2: no sure not not to that extent but uh I, we would have reduced our our probably meat intake an in, in awful lot over the last couple of years and you know there was nothing around the sporting side of it or anything like that it was probably as much environmental and maybe moral issues around it to to an extent and um, we still look we still we still eat meat and enjoy it enjoy a steak and everything else but um probably have reduced it a little bit um but as brian had said there you know yeah for particularly for young people following, you know, bloggers and Instagrammers and that sort of thing, you know, a lot of these people haven't, they haven't uh, the scientific background around, uh, you know, nutrition and that sort of thing. So I think people have to be very careful on what advice they are taking and, you know, whether that's, high protein low carbs whether that's vegan vegetarian whatever it is you have to be very careful what advice you are taking that it, it is coming from the right source and um, you know i i know on my phone all the time there's things coming up but avoiding this food and that food and all the rest and you know these people don't have the the scientific nutrition nutritional background that they should have forgiven that type of advice. And um, there's a lot of people who think, you know, coming out with cookbooks and all of this sort of stuff when, you know, it's at the end of the day, it's money. Um, and, you know, there is people with certain agendas and a lot of money behind them to, um, to push a certain agenda. So um, people have to be conscious of that as well. And it, it, it is very hidden, particularly on on social media. So um, it, it can get very, uh, the lines can get very blurred on what is right and what is wrong and what's the right thing to eat and everything else. But um, I think a lot of it comes down to listen to advice and the the right type of people. And, you know, again, tailoring that to your own body, to your own training regime, to your intake, your... Your outputs on it on a training pitch or in a gym or whatever the case is. So it's not just as simple as picking up your phone and just following, you know, following the, a blogger or an Instagram or, or whatever it is. You you, you really need to take the advice from the right the right type of people to make sure it's, it's right, right for you.
1: Three sixty.
2: Yeah. What's
1: the What's the go to treat after a game, Paddy?
2: After. Uh, the I won't I won't say a pints. I probably not, not shouldn't say that. But um yeah, look, I, I think everything in moderation, you know, if if you know if, if you've locked yourself down and you're training very hard and you're eating right, doing all the right things and you know, you do have a break in your season or after a game, I personally have no issue with, you know, having having a few drinks, you know, maybe a takeaway. Um, you know, I do like a like, nice lasagna, stuff like that. We we do like to go out for, for something to eat. So, you know, you know, once once every so often, there's there's. That. I don't see any problem in, in having a little bit of junk food, whether it's as John said, a bit of ice cream, or chocolate, or whatever the case is. And um, you know, just as long as you know that you're you're not doing that every day because you, you, you just can't fuel yourself properly. So you know, everything ever in moderation.
1: Brian, what's your go-to? You've you've done have a lot of celebrating recently. Um, believe it or not,
3: we don't really have games. I know, we're like obviously, like you say, a lot of celebrate, but in season. We're meticulous and, and raging in what we do. Um a lot of the lads would like they've got a Chinese in town here and I know the lads in Belfry and the house there and a couple of other houses they will be ordering the Chinese, but um I don't really after a game, I don't be looking for for treats and stuff like that. I, I try to get the right stuff. It sounds busy and the lads will slaughter me if they hear this, but uh, I try to get the right stuff in and that replenish it and then say it's a Friday night, it's on the Saturday then. And Saturdays when then, whatever, if we're going out for a meal or something like that is that's when I'll, you know, enjoy myself and leave it for something like that. So I can sort of not just throwing it all into me as quick as I can after a game. Um, I suppose
1: that's where the discipline kind of comes into it.
3: Yeah, I suppose I'd have a bit in my head that, geez, I'm after. If you're after playing 90 minutes and burning that much calories and that sort of thing, is that, well, if all the other lads are doing that or if other teams are doing that, this gets me, you know, a step ahead or a... One, one percentage more. So, um, just like this sort of thing. But, you know, then on the Saturday, then we go out for a meal with the wife or something like that. And that's when I, I'd, uh, I'd use that moment, that meal for that.
1: John, you, you speaking of professionalism there, you had a chance to go professional um, Australian rules with Richmond and you turned it down um, maybe for that balance to have your kind of go into your professional career and still on the maroon jersey in
0: full power yeah um well actually i I spent nine months uh, in melbourne with richmond um so I, I got to experience that uh that professional setup and just interesting to hear what brian said because and it, it, it look it opened my eyes to it and um, when i was i was 18 at the time um 18 19 and um i would have been arguably too dedicated to the sport at the time you know I wouldn't have liked to put anything that could hamper my performance or in, in inverted commas hamper my performance into my body and you know I, I didn't really drink at the time um, certainly wouldn't have eaten too much junk food all for that aspiration to get to the top level and you know get to Australia and when I went there um, yeah they trained very hard trained probably harder than county teams did at the time Intercounty has certainly picked up a couple of levels since um, but they used to actually order their pizza before the game used to on a Saturday, the the last training before the game the club I used with anyway, they'd, they'd put in their order for the pizza and what soft drink they'd want after. And the pizza and the soft drink we brought into the dressing room after the game. Uh, and it was a big thing. Like, you know, so that, I, th- I thought that was a, a good insight and in terms of the in terms of a couple of drinks. And um, if they had a game the following week, you were allowed to go out for a couple of drinks once you didn't have any soft uh soft tissue damage if you had a dead leg or anything like that you wouldn't be allowed to go out because it would hamper the uh hamper the recovery so yeah look it's all about balance and, and brian mentioned there the uh the effect it had on and say the mental thought of it you know is this going to reduce my performance or i'm not going to play as well and i wouldn't uh disregard that either like it's all about getting that balance and you know similarly you can't let it weigh you down if you feel it i can't have you know a treat here because I have been playing football you'll certainly turn to maybe resent it or not play it for as long as you can so it's most certainly important about getting that balance and just maybe add on the last point of conversation there about the the environment and the the nutritional quality of the food i'm um, i'm actually organizing a conference on tuesday uh, through my work um i have a professor from california uh, professor frank mitchell who's an expert in climate change and air quality and professor frederick e. roy who's an expert in meat science and they are speaking to uh, farmers and veterinarians and the agricultural industry and just kind of busting those myths that the guys have mentioned there. And it was just interesting to hear Paddy talk about the environment um, and and some, some information there about the nutrition because we were actually developed, we've developed from meat-eating, we're, we're meat-eating, we're carnivores, and that's how the humans have developed over time. Um, and arguably, there's no better food source out there than the egg. It's got all your right balance in, of amino acids. And um, another point, and I'll, I'll finish at this, is that for every one vegan? For every one vegan in America, there's five former vegans. So people have tried it; it's not sustainable, and they've come back to the normal diet that their their body is used to. And um, so, touching on what Patty mentioned in the fads and social media, like that's exactly what it just is. You have to go back to day dot to what humans developed from, and that's what, we, what that's what we developed from. Luckily enough, we have all the advances in technology and everything else that so we have more available food sources to us. But um, yeah, it's very hard to get the the correct balance and nutrition from say manufactured food.
2: Yeah, yeah. Um, I I'd, I'd have to agree with that from a probably from a, a sporting perspective. Um, you know, when when I first probably cut out a little bit of meat and stuff like that um, out of the diet, um, when I was playing, you know, at, at a decent level, even you know playing with the pads, playing with the club, and that, um, found it really hard to to keep. Keep weight on, and um, you had to do so much more work with your food um, to make sure you were getting the, the 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 volume of protein, the volume of calories, and that in. Um, you know, for, I, I certainly found it a lot easier to keep weight on, to keep the calories up, keep the protein up, and that sort of thing when you were when you were eating meat. That would that was my own. Maybe that's just my own body. I don't know, but um, definitely found a bit of an effect from that that point of view. John, John you you're head, you're
1: tipping off now, are you? Um, yeah,
2: I just sent in a text message there. So we,
0: uh, we have just said, well, in, term, in oh terms, in terms of people maybe that they're, they're, they're thinking about training and what's going on during the current restrictions, and maybe I might, might leave on this point. Um, we, we, with Westmead, we've, uh, we've kind of kept training going um, in terms of, you know, obviously on your own. Um, but we have an excellent manager, Jack Cooney, and training condition coach in, uh, in John Angle of Wolfhound Fitness in Mollingar. And they've been sending programs through to us, keeping us going. And look, it's not mandatory. I think maybe for anyone that's on the call, it's managing teams and particularly underage, it's very hard to put you know that pressure on people and the onus on people to, to uh you know stay in a regimental regime of, of training, you know. So it's it's kind of health and well being and getting out and doing a bit. And in terms of the club, then we're just actually starting tonight um on on a Facebook live, on a private Facebook account. Um we're just getting together, having a bit of a a full body workout and look it's just kind of get that kind of bit of banter going as well because we don't we don't know when we'll be back we're all hopeful maybe that in july we might see some football but it's it's very hard to know so um that's why i'm just gonna go off and do a bit of a session here now and
1: um, jamie Farrell wanted to play out with um <laughs> the band. If you yeah. give us a few parts of that before you hit the mute button
0: i i really wish i could uh, i've been practicing all day i heard jamie put in the request um I'll have to be invited back up to loud for another uh another let the hair down session as we call it, and I, I can maybe sing it then. Good man. Thanks, John. Thanks a all minute. Right.
1: Good
0: okay, time thanks day, John. John. See you Brian. Nice, John. Thanks. Thanks. thanks very much, Dan. Bye. Good luck. Bye bye. Thought you
3: was two of you were gonna start digging each other, Paddy. It's happened a few times already.
1: <laughs> yeah, a few fiery battles. All right. Paddy, would you would you have liked to go on pro? Yeah, uh, I would pro. love
2: to, would have loved to yeah. Um probably soccer would have been um what i would have aimed for back when i was maybe a teenager and that it would have been probably my first my main sport i suppose up till around 17 18 and um, playing with playing with the dog and you know went to the mid cup and all of that sort of thing so probably privately always would have harbored hopes of, of going professional and that sort of thing but you know maybe in hindsight that was a bit of a bit of a pipe dream but um I I would love to experience it just for any length of time, just, you know, just the lifestyle, the training, the education, the nutrition, you know, the recovery. Um, I think the recovery is probably the biggest thing, you know, that you play a game on a Sunday, you know, you can go in on a Monday and see a physio, get a rub, um, you know, get the best of food, get a full night's sleep instead of you know, maybe getting up at six o'clock in the morning to sit on a train or a bus to go to Dublin for work um, and then try to train that night or get your recovery in that night. It's, um, that, that, for me, from a GEA point of view, is probably the most difficult thing. Um, you just simply can't get, for the volume of training and the games you're, you're, you're playing in, it's just impossible or not impossible to get the, the, the level of recovery that you should have um, from a professional standpoint. So I, I just, I, I would have loved to, you know, at any stage, just experience it from the inside out um, rather, than looking, rather than looking in. Um, so, yeah, maybe, maybe Brian has some more insight than that. They, they've, you know, the dog has come on, you know, leaps and bounds um, with regard to professionalism, the way probably when Stephen Kenny come over, you, you could see around the town the difference in the seriousness of how it was being taken and, um, the attitude of the players, the culture around the the team, as opposed to maybe in the early two thousands, it was a lot different with Dundalk. Even the stories coming out of the camp to now, you know, you, you could you could see the difference in the you know the commitment of the players, the culture, the training, you know, and you can that's manifesting itself in the in the results at the end of the day.
1: Could you see the levels lift, Brian?
3: Yeah, uh, well, I certainly heard about a few of the stories before uh, before our era <laughs> in Dundalk, but. Um, Yeah, I came in 2013, and I suppose I was working, well, working for myself part-time as well, Um, and like Paddy says there, there was a few lads working, and obviously the money was only a couple of hundred quid, we were part-time, and as it went on, and say you got 2015, (laughs) and then 2016, uh, it just, it wasn't possible to work and give your all to Well,
2: for most people, sort of thing. So
3: I was the only one where it was working for myself. So I was able to sort of manage things, but uh, I still had to step away and it was incredibly hard. Football always had to come first. And then everyone else that had jobs or else people that were signed, you know, they couldn't have another job. This was so in the end, we have a team of of full time, like fully professional. Now we were still training evenings. And during that Europa League campaign, we ended up going afternoons or late afternoons as such um and it changed then but it wasn't until 2018 that we went mornings fully professional um okay right and with that then had to uh i had to change obviously my setup i had to step back from the other the other job i have and that sort of thing um in terms of have people to do more and um it was either that or and at 31 you know it was a big decision you know do i risk that for football um and especially at that age or do i uh do i have to think about my football and put me you know outside workforce because that will be the future um and like paddy says it's a, it's a dream and you only get one chance at it um and uh, football's football's always first for me so uh it's like i know what paddy says like and i've done it in terms of going to training with dundalk and and having a job on the road down to dublin back up um and even that at the start of this season it's you know it's sort yeah. of i was a way to train at nine in the morning, back at ten at night from Dublin. I was trying to set up a business, um, and it did take its toll on me, you know. And I, I realised that, and um, you know that's probably way I down the pecking order to start of the season. Um, something I had to address myself, and uh, you know you you learn from it, and that, um, as well as having a newborn baby. Your your sleep is limited, so it's it's a balance in your whole life. Um, and professional, like I said. If you're if you're professional, you need to you need to be able to give it all. You need to have nothing outside, and uh, your sport has to be before everything else.
1: Yeah, because I think uh, Stephen Hunt mentioned a couple of years ago about GA players wouldn't be able to handle being professional in terms of it all. Concerned to rest. I know you're probably not getting much of it. Congratulations, uh, new baby. <laughs>
3: nice.
1: um, but yeah, the 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 lack of recovery is that sort of discipline going into it. Um, do you find that, Paddy? Like, in terms of the balance, like even in terms of studying, like, would you have been able to balance your career with with something professional
2: or travel? Like, you're getting to do your traveling now. Yeah, I, I think for years, well, for personally, for me, it was uh, it, it was completely unbalanced. The uh, the work lifestyle training recovery, it, it was pretty much impossible to be honest. Um. My last couple of years with Loud, my last year in particular, was was particularly tough because I was commuting up and down to Dublin every day and working serious hours and, and we had a base in Cork as well. So you were coming home, you were leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning, going straight from work to training, getting home at maybe half ten at night, um, you know really struggling to get the, the right food in on the road and then getting up at six o'clock the next morning again and um, you know it was it was crazy stuff physically it was impossible sitting in a car or sitting on a train all day and um, sitting at a desk and um, mentally it was very tough as well because you didn't have the hours to yourself just to, to wind down and then the food aspect was you were just always eating on the go so it was very hard you didn't ha- even have the time to cook properly and stuff like that so it was just pure and utter exhaustion and um, come the end of it and um I think that's the probably for me is the biggest difference between playing an amateur sport and a, and a professional sport in that you, you have time to dedicate to yourself and your body and your mind and everything else. Whereas for me at that time it was just it was simply impossible to, to do and something had to had to give. Um, I knew it was a huge injury or something be- coming down the tracks because I just, my body was just so seized up tight and um, from sitting down all day, sitting in trains, cars and going straight out onto the training pitches and just not getting the, the recovery. So, um you know, in, in hindsight, would I if I had the choice, would I have given up the, the job to extend my career a couple of years? I probably would in hindsight. Um, and as, as Brian said, you only have one kind of shot at it. And um, so you know, would I have done it done it differently probably, but um it's hard to make those decisions when you know, as a GEA player, you 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 can't just focus on your your football. You have to focus on your career, your education, and and job, and that sort of thing outside of it. So, um, you know, the, I'm sure the like of the Dublin players don't have the same and um, the same issues. You know, they're they're not commuting. You know, this is to the same extent as you know a loud player is or a Mayo player, and that sort of thing. So that they have a lot of advantages that way. And then, you know, I'm I'm sure they're getting looked after with 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 jobs that smaller county. Um, smaller county players um, wouldn't wouldn't have the, the ability to get so um, yeah that, 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 that to me would be the big the big one I would love to experience just even for a year or two just see how it would how, how your career or how your performances would be affected if you were effectively playing on a professional level. Sorry to put and Paddy when you look
3: back at that time right and you're going from because I'm thinking when I look back on myself when I was trying to do everything at one stage right you look back and you think it was grand then and uh, this is just how it is but you look back and upside down you're in your like you're in your, in your head it was just all over the shop at times but you but you just thought that's how it is when you're younger would
2: you would you have been like that yeah at, at, at that time in particular i was kind of just accepted that's that's the way it was And um, i suppose from for most of my life career i was i was lucky enough that i was working and living in dundalk or living in lordship and commuting in that Dundalk, which was which was fine but as soon as the job changed and it was moved to Dublin, um, moved to Cork, or, or tr- commute to Dublin, commute to Cork, and then try and play f- nearly a professional, professional level of, of, of sport, and um, you know you 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 just got on with it and you thought that was just the way it was. But in hindsight, you know you you were very close to just complete and utter burnout. Um, and I don't I don't think. No matter what type of person you are long term that's it's not sustainable and um, for that level of training and and where you want to yeah. be perfectly in, in your performance it's just it's not possible so as i said that that's you know with that with that experience that's why i would have you know a year or two of being professional or close to professional would have been just brilliant to see where it would take your performances and take your body and everything else and um, Look, that's that's part of life. At the end of the day, you have to get on with it. But um, you know, it's—I don't think we'll ever get to that stage in in GEA. But you know, personally, I would love to experience it for, for some for some level of time. D- does, it feel,
1: does it feel like a John, uh, job, um, Brian? Or like, or, or does the getting the boots on every morning so that kind of romanticism wear off after a while?
3: Yeah, it's probably. Um, I can be too honest sometimes when I do these things, but like there's no point in answering these if, if you're not honest. And it's it's the best job in the world, you know, most days. But I know lads that they don't even like football and they're professional footballers most of their life. You know, and same with myself. You go through good times and bad times, it's like any job and you um you know, you see it through. But when I suppose when the dust settles, you know, and you're in a straight like, a frame of mind, like well, for me anyway. It, it's unbelievable but yeah sometimes it is it is just a job because you uh, you sacrifice everything else in your life like paddy said earlier like every i think all the lads weddings all their stags family holidays and um, even just holidays with the with the wife the child stuff like that you get a one month window to go at the end of the year and you know before christmas and yeah. um, mm-hmm. she mightn't be able to with her work stuff like that uh just occasions, the simple things that I suppose we all took for granted and we're realising now, you know, with this lockdown sort of thing, the, the family time and how precious time is with people sort of thing, is that you miss all those things. With the, It's a sacrifice you have to give, but, like, you know, I'm willing to give it and so is every other player because you're, you're living your dream. But, come back to your question, sometimes, for me, sometimes it's a job. um, But most of the times, like, it's unbelievable. You go, we go in and half nine on a normal day before all this happened, you go in a half nine with rehab prehab whatever you have to do uh, you're monitoring monitor, monitoring so uh, for your hamstrings groins all the different things and uh-huh. you know you're checked out to make sure you're not fatigued and um, we're on the training pitch hopefully by half ten could be a bit later and um, you might have a bit of video you're off the pitch after twelve um, little bit of a break 15 20 minutes you're into the gym and then your lunch is ready for you in the canteen at a half one like and as Rory Higgins who uh who left us for the Ireland set up today said last year is I spoiled and I won't say the next word um, <laughs> and it's, it's true you know it is like that's you done for the day then two o'clock um you can do a bit extra or whatever uh and you're you're playing football you're living your dream as a kid um so uh but sometimes you lose sight of that and you take all the pressure and all the crap from the outside and, you know, things aren't going your way and, you know, whether you're getting into team or you're in bad form and you're getting grief from the media and stuff like that. And yeah, it becomes a job then because, uh, again, the the mindset has changed. And um, we have a couple, do, a couple of questions there, Dan. Just um, from Brendan. Um, Paddy, is there too much expected of Intercounty GA players? And the second question, would either of you be interested in going into management?
2: um so taking the first question i would say yes um i i don't know how you can control it or police it or whatever but um yeah as i said you know just looking at the for a lot of a lot of guys and um, particularly in the smaller counties where you know you, you might not have the profile you mightn't have you might have the access to football friendly jobs if you want to call that and um, you know for, for guys Working on the building site all day and then go out and try and play an inter-county match, which is physical in itself, or inter-county training. You know, your, your body's not built for that load on on itself, so it, it is extremely difficult. And um, so, I think it, it is nigh on impossible to do the level of training that's expected at county level plus hold down, you know, a, a, a reasonable job. And um, you know, I, I would have often seen lads at county level. We'd have a game on a you know a Sunday morning. Or, or Sunday, maybe a Saturday evening and lads working on the building site on, on a Saturday morning doing a half day shift and you know that there's no way your body can be in the right the right physical shape to, to play a game. Your mind can't be in the right place. So um I don't think it's possible. On the other hand, I don't know how you police it. How do you stop an amateur uh, an amateur player or an amateur team um, you know, going the extra mile to to, to, to work harder, train harder, put more miles in and, and and more time into it. I don't think there's any way of really properly policing that. So the bar has just been raised all the time. And, um, you know, even from when I finished, I was 2014, maybe 2013, um, to now it's gone another step up again. You know, you see the physical condition of some of the players and, and the, the time they're putting into it and, and everything else. You know, I don't know where it actually stops. Um, I, I think it's to the detriment of, of, of the game in some ways um, because it's just not sustainable um, longer term. I think
3: I think a thing that's been lost in it as well is the enjoyment party. Yeah. Is the yeah, fact absolutely. that like when I when I look at the smaller counties, like say you're looking at Loud and Dublin, like you, you touched on, is the professionalism. And obviously if you're trying to compete with that in Leinster, like that's why Loud or you're training, the smaller counties have to just push on and try to do as much as they can. But you, you then lose players because remember it's amateur in the end. And like you said, you're you're close to burnout and you're giving everything to that. And your job, and your family life, is that something has to give, and it's not going to be your family or what's keeping a roof over your head. So it's going to be, you know, your football or something like that. And like you said, the the bigger counties like Dublin, you know, they get looked after, so they don't have that sort of stress or that worry or that I suppose risk attached with it as much as as a smaller county. But the enjoyment goes for it, and I found myself realizing lately that the biggest thing, whether it's my job, like you need to enjoy it, and whether it's in, yeah. a, in a normal job as well. Like if you're not enjoying that, you're not going to stay in it. Yeah.
2: You know, you look I, for. I was going to ask you. That, I was going to ask you that question. Do, do you find the level of professionalism because because now with all the science around it, you have, you know, you're you're being monitored, and I'm sure you have your your fluid intake monitored, your your muscle condition, your sleep um quality. All of that is being monitored. You're seeing physios every day. You know, every single little thing you've the gps vest you're wearing you know your managers know absolutely everything about you you know does that and that take an element of the enjoyment away from it that you're so tightly analyzed that you're you're told to be here there and everywhere at a specific time the food is is done for you literally everything is done where you're nearly robotic I, i i know from even a simple thing when, when DVD work and video analysis came in, a lot of players absolutely hated it because it meant spending, you know, a half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour after training to look at videos. And, you know, some players just wanted to play football and it took that little bit of enjoyment away from them because they were so tightly monitored and programmed into f- totally focusing on the, on, on the football. Would, would you find that at times yourself? Yeah,
3: big time. I think, like like you said, in 2013, we used to train at six, meet at six, train a half six. And you'd get there, you put on your boots. And as you say, we go out and start footballs before training. And, you know, we're just having to crack, yeah. like you do when you're free kicks and knocking the balls, each turn on that. Now we're in a half nine, and you have to do your monitoring for your hamstrings, for your calves, for your maybe your jump test, and uh, whatever week it is, you get your body fat taken. And uh, then you've got to wait and do your prehab uh so it's, you know the mini resistance bands and different exercises and stuff like that and yeah you just want to play football sometimes you're just like I feel yeah. grand I'm all right uh and you're going through this and the S&C will look at this and kill me but it can it's just from a player's point of view and I'm see I'm of a sports management background as well so I know the reasons behind it and the benefits sort of thing uh and a lot of lads would have frustrations because they, they wouldn't and they think well we didn't have to do that 5 years ago you know yeah. but like you say, everything has been brought in. and uh, Sometimes it can be a bit too much because, like we said earlier, you know your own body better than anyone, especially if you're, if you're an experienced a, athlete. Um, but the same, it's always just, uh, I suppose, the reason it's been brought in it can, it's for football above this is because footballers are commodities. They're worth so much yeah, money. Yeah. So it's uh, yeah. the risk of injury. If you reduce that risk of injury, you're looking after your investment, your asset um and that's where it's come from from the top level like in the likes of stat sports that's why they're they're massive and it's vital in, in football that way because they're always advancing i suppose uh clubs in terms of how to get the best out of their players but mainly how to keep the players fit and injury free which means mm-hmm. you're getting more more uh value for your for your things so it's um yeah it can it can be because like you say like we all just want to go out and play football you just want to yeah. train and you just want to and sometimes we want to do extra, and like after training, you want to do extras, and you're told no, not today. you okay. right. They're looking at the iPad and they're saying you're at capacity. Um, you've done certain amounts of high-speed running meters of this, that. No, off the pitch, uh, have your rest, get your protein shake in, and uh, get ready for the gym. So uh, wow. yeah, it can be a bit, uh, a bit over, overkill yeah. for players, for players. But there's a reason to it as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's getting the understanding across to the players, and like you're doing it for their for their benefit. Is that goes into the management as well? And just that uh, we asked that question, Paddy. Is management something you go into? Like to go into?
2: Um, I suppose down the line, um, possibly yes. Um, you know, I suppose there's a difference between you know coaching and management are two very different things Um, you know did a little bit of coaching there with, with with the pats and that at different different teams you know maybe underage or the junior team and that sort of thing which i which i really enjoyed but you know taking that on to management is is definitely a different a different ball game altogether Um, you know going out on a training session and, and taking the training session and ultimately you know when it comes to game day you know somewhat it, it, it's kind of out of your hands um, you know, you're coming and making the actual calls on, on, on game day, substitutions, you know, managing media and all of that sort of stuff that goes with management as well. And, um, you know, that's a very, very different, uh, different thing. And I think particularly in GEA, people think, you, you know, clubs would bring in outside men and that sort of thing. Sometimes there are actual managers, sometimes they are coaches, but people looking in from the outside think the two are, are the same thing. Um, which I think needs to be distinguished um, because I've played under some brilliant managers who couldn't take a training session and, and, and vice versa, some excellent coaches, but you didn't want to put them in a management position because, you know, in the heat of game day, you know, making the tough calls and making the tough decisions or maybe... Player management and man-to-man management, um, you know, wouldn't be there. So um, I think there, it's important to have that distinction between a, a coach and a, and a, and a, and a manager. Um, at the at the minute, I, I like the idea of, of of coaching and building up a bit of experience that way. Um, ultimately, does that lead to management? I don't know. I could be terrible at it. I've no, I've no idea. Um, you don't know until you're actually you're actually doing it. Just just because you've played football at a, you know at a decent level and have you know, experience in that doesn't doesn't make you automatically make you a good coach or make you a good manager. So, you know, you still have to you still have to prove yourself at the end of the day. But um I'd like to give it a shot down that down the line at some stage. But when and where and with who is <laughs> is it is a different question.
1: Well, Fitz might be giving you a call maybe <laughs> off your phone. Brain, step <laughs> management would that I interest have, you or even
3: yeah, always always thought I'd go into coaching and management straight after. I always like that was always growing up and um I suppose the intensity of the last few years and I suppose you mature and you you realise, you know, what's involved in the game, especially the professionalism we go to that. Um and then like you said, like I said earlier, you end up having a family and a mortgage to pay and different mm-hmm. things. Um I don't know. Is to be honest, uh, I always thought I would, and I, I maybe I will. Maybe I just need to, you know, step away from the game whenever I retire for six months yeah. or a year, and you realize, Jesus, after a couple of months, you know, you can't live without it. But um, like Paddy said, it's completely different things the coaching and management. But um, I'd say I'll, I'll still be involved in football somehow, uh, whether it's coaching and management or or the business side of things in terms of the League of Ireland. Um, I still want to be involved and in, and in that, but I don't know. I suppose it's the answer just now. And uh, when the time comes, I'll you know I'll see and see how I'm feeling then. Um, yeah, I always thought I would, and, yeah, it's just like say if I was to get a coach'es or a or a manager's job now, you know, it's your slim pickings with clubs in in League of Ireland in mm-hmm. terms of you have done dark uh, and remember it's full time that type of job, like so you have done, doc. a couple of clubs in Dublin, after that, you're you're upping roots, that's you know, amazing. and you're moving somewhere else, you're moving across the country to Cork or Galway, Sligo, Derry, something like that, and uh, is it worth it, uh, monetary-wise, you know, sort of things like that. Um, but I suppose that's just in the professional setup, the way I'm looking at it. Uh, I do a lot of coaching with kids in terms of basketball classes, just from the ages of four to to 12 and it's pure basic and and fun and i love that so uh even if i'm not involved in the professional setup well i'll always be involved in, in that and youth and that sort of thing because i, I got great enjoyment out of that and i love it
1: yeah that, that's i have that what's going on next uh next question i have here the netflix the last dance with michael jordan has taken everyone by storm during this lockdown, um, what like looking at the leader? I suppose it goes into the ball season ninety eight. If anyone hasn't seen it, and it, it kind of dips into the type of leader Michael Jordan was. Uh, I don't know whether he was an influence on you lads, and uh, he certainly was on me. But his type of leadership was kind of shone upon, and in some in, in bad light, and uh, the way he push people, kind of drag them on. But what, what was your opinions on Michael Jordan's kind of? how would you say, bullying kind of leadership, Brian?
3: It's funny you say this, I wonder if one of my mates is, is watching, I had an argument in his kitchen, uh, There, I probably shouldn't have said that, but I was visiting him there the other day for a cup of tea, uh, I hadn't seen him in months, and we were discussing this, and his wife was there, and he, um, he was of the opinion that he was a bit of a bully, and there was a negative light shone on him, Uh and I was just asking how, and why, you know, I think it's, like everything it's opinions and I just I'm from the other side of the camp. Uh and on off the ball, like they were agreeing with with my mate's side that, you know, he was too harsh on people and he was um you know, I was trying to find a word there that wasn't a, a curse uh to use to describe him. But um I found that he was just demanding like it, it reminds me of Roy Keane. Yeah, yeah. And let's remember it was twenty years ago, it was a different era. Um, but even now, I s like you know, it it made me think I was too soft on people the last couple of years. So sort I of think you know I know a couple. Of, you need the arm around the shoulder, but you need to kick up the arse. Sometimes that's what you have to do, and you have to you know be straight with people. There's no point in telling them they're great if they're not great. Um, At the other side, I think that people have missed from it is that yeah, he might have been demanding and he might have been a bit harsh and maybe a bit rude to to some people, but. Um, you look at Steve Kerr and that's game six and he turns to him and just says are you ready no matter what he's said to him throughout his whole career before that shows you what he thinks of him are you ready to you know he's the star he's going to get rid of the ball not take the shot and pass pass it to you when all he wants is the glory like that's what he's built himself up for the glory but for the good of the team and he believes in Steve Kerr because he's an incredible shooter that he'll Draw the, the extra player in, he'll be free, and you're the free man, you win it for us. You know, that shows what he thinks of him. So I think people forget that and they just see the, say, the the verbal exchange and one or two things. And yeah, maybe he was like that, but I've been on training pitches and we've ended up in punch ups. But yeah. you, you get on, like you, you're laughing about it the next day, and it's just the competitiveness, that ultra competitiveness, and that drive to win. I'm sure he think- will.
1: Yeah, I kinda of agree with you, Brian, in that in that I think everyone's a little bit harsh on Michael Jordan. Or maybe they're not aware of how the inner workings of a professional or any even environment works with a team where you're pushing someone on and like sometimes it has to be harsh. It has to be kind of brute kinda of words or harsh words. Would you be this I don't know whether you've watched the paddy or you're a fan of MJ?
2: Yeah, huge, huge fan back in the day. I was obsessed okay. with them around the, the mid '90s. Had had all the jerseys and Everton, which I can't find anymore, unfortunately. But um, yeah, it's um, I can see both sides of it. Um, you know, at the end when you look back on what what they did, you know, six championships in in eight years. You know, it's an absolutely at the very top level of sport and in a very competitive era as well. There were some great teams in the '90s, apart from the Bulls. And, um, you know, and, and I think the quote he came out with at one stage in, in, in the documentary was, you know, I, I pushed I pushed people when they didn't want to be pushed. I challenged people when they didn't want to be challenged, you know, to lift their game and to, to stand up and, you know, to pull off the shot. Like John Paxton, Steve Kerr and that sort of thing. When when the chips were down and somebody had to, somebody apart from Jordan had to step up and, and pull something off. They did that Um, and probably a large part of that is they were were pushed so hard at training. Everton was so competitive that, you know, every single session, every single game, you know, everything was on the line. So when it ultimately came down to the biggest shots in the the most important games, the other players were able to step up because they were pushed and were challenged and, you know, so hard through through their careers. Um, You know, on, on the other hand, As Brian said, it was a different era. That was 20 years ago. Um, You know, you you could give someone an an F and off or you could talk to people or your teammates in a certain way that you wouldn't probably get away with these days to a large extent. And and maybe that's just the human nature that we've become maybe softer and more politically correct that, you know, a lot of people, particularly young guys, I I would find now and I would even be the same in in. In football dressing rooms, you know, you, players are maybe a little bit more fragile, maybe a little bit softer, and not willing to hear the hard message. Um, you know, about working harder. And, exactly. You know, taking the hard hits, taking the hard word. And um, I think people need to accept. You know, if you're playing with a real leader, that probably the best of all time, and the likes of, of Michael Jordan, and you know, he's expecting something from you, and he's telling you exactly what he wants from you. Um, ultimately it's to, to lift the team and to make you better, make the team better. And, um, you know, a player that shies away from that and breaks down because of that expectations of them, you know, maybe doesn't have the personality or the resilience to play at the highest level in the biggest games um, in that sport. So, you know, At a professional level, in particular, you need to have a very, very strong character and a very strong will. Um, You know, players like that don't get to the top level without having that. But Michael Jordan took it to to the next level, Um, and it was it was a very extreme his 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 methods. At the end of the day, they did work, so you can't say they were wrong. Would he be able to pull it off these days? I don't know. There's probably a mix between the carrot and the stick these days, and maybe it's leaning more towards the arm around the shoulder, the the the, the carrot-type um, approach yeah, with pr- yeah. particularly younger players. But I think younger players have to realise, at some stage, I'm going to do something wrong. Somebody's going to tell me straight out. Somebody's going to F me out of it. Um, and you have to respond the right way. You, you can't break down and let that get on top of you, you have to be able to respond to that in, in a positive manner. So from, you know, go back to whether you, you go down to coaching or management, um, that style of, of, your your style of talking to people, your management skills, those sort of things is very much different than it was 20 years ago. So I'm not sure if that singular tough approach would, would work these days, but, uh, you know, you can take elements out of Michael Jordan's approach and tailor it to modern times, if you like.
1: Because he did say that it kind of welled up. It was a famous kind of moment in the doc, in dock where he's saying, I didn't I didn't do anything, I didn't ask anyone to do anything I wouldn't do myself. Mm. Um, yeah. it, is that the way you, you are as a leader, Brian, down in Oriel? Are you kicking the boys up and down? Are you, are you saw um, putting the arm around it, the shoulder?
3: No, I would have. Um, like, we've got leaders in, in all different dimensions in terms of like I'd be more vocal I'd be one of I'd be the most vocal and not shy of I suppose telling someone if it's wrong or if it's right or or what um but there's lads that wouldn't be vocal but they lead and and how they do everything just perfect and just you know their actions um so you need that and you need all different types because like on the other side of things all the players um like like Paddy touched on there to look on the other side of things is that would the players on that team have that same mentality to win those championships if they couldn't take the criticism from Michael and trainer, you know, if they couldn't take Jordan slaughtering them or having a go with them or demanding more, when you came to those last two minutes, three minutes and it's tight for a championship, you know, did they have that mental toughness then, or is this what built it up? Um, and if you, if you're not able to stick, stick it in training and a bit of stick like that, you certainly won't be able to stick it come a uh, playoff final. Um, so I think you weed out those players that aren't mentally tough like that it, with environments like that. And like you said, maybe it was harder then than it is now, um, because it's it's a complete different generation. But uh, my own style, I came away from that documentary, and I was thinking, I've let a few lads off with stuff the last while, um, just because I didn't want to unsettle the the roofs as such you know, um sometimes it's not worth it because like you said some lads they don't accept it like my ministers call me negative at times i just say no i'm being realistic that's how it is there's no point in spinning it a different way this position i'm in or whatever um but a lot of people won't face the reality that that's it and well maybe they didn't see it differently but everyone else on the outside look to see how they're they're looking and saw say whatever it was that happened you know you might have thought it wasn't my fault but if two people are telling you it was your fault well, maybe you need to go and look at it and put on someone else's glasses, you know, to see it through their eyes. Um, and it's just that it's it's hard for lads to accept criticism, like Paddy said. That people wouldn't mm. people wouldn't take that um that environment Jordan had. Now a lot of players I know wouldn't take that, wouldn't take that from another player. They take it from the coach, okay. take it from the manager. Uh, just about some of them, you know, but um, it's a completely different different era. So it's. Your leadership has to be different for every different every player, uh, and that's pretty much it. Like you said, some lads arm around the shoulder, some lads leave them and don't say nothing. You know, they know they made a mistake. They got on with it, and it will be eating them inside, where um, they're going through a hard time or different things. Or sometimes you just say nothing and you lead by example. Um, so yeah, it you, can, sorry, sorry what, uh, it could differ that way. So. I don't know what Paddy feels there. But. Yeah,
2: I, I, think, I think as part of a team, yeah. particularly, you know, maybe basketball is a little bit different because it's such a small, you know, it's five five uh, to a team and a smaller squad. Whereas, you know, looking at soccer and Gaelic, you know, you, you could have, you know, you could have 20, 25, 30, maybe togged out on, on, on game day where, you know, difference, you have different leaders in a team. You know, I, I'll take the, the Pats team, you know, probably the, the greatest team of leaders I've ever been involved with in any, in any team in that, you know, you'd, you Colin Goss. as soon as he spoke, everyone shut up and everyone knew that he had something constructive to say and everyone respected what he said. Whereas you had say, Ray Finnegan would nearly never say anything. You know, he, you just, you'd, you'd see him in action and he would lead by, lead by example on, on, on the pitch. You'd have Pawdy e. Mallon would be a little bit different. He would you would see he would just do the dirty jobs and do them well and do them better than anybody else on the field and do the unsung work, but he'd still talk you around the pitch and be very constructive from a tactical point of view. You know, I think having a mix of leaders around the pitch, particularly up the up the spine of your your team, and um, you know, can help out players in different ways because, as, as Brian said, not every player. Reacts positively to one approach. You need a n- n- number of different approaches, whether it's to kick up the ass, the arm around the shoulder, or, or or a little bit in between. And when you have a team full of leaders or a group of leaders, um, you know you can get that proper mix for everybody. From you know your your young guy to an older guy to a lazy guy to a guy who's ultra motivated and, and needs you know a kicking all the time just to keep himself motivated, like like Jordan did. He he always found something to Motivate himself, and a large part of the time that was from within. Whereas some players need you know a manager to keep at them, keep on the back, to keep them focused, keep them running, keep them working hard. So, I think when you have a team full of leaders or a team largely made up of leaders, it makes it a lot easier for a captain or a, a coach or a manager to, to get that right mix throughout the team.
1: I think, Paddy, you've done one thing I've never didn't expect from tonight, you've just compared Paul Malin to to Dennis Rodman.
3: <laughs> I think in the in the teams there you'll, you'll find would you find in teams you've been in Paddy that you sort of get little groups in the team so you might have young lads or the older lads and then you know lads from one club say if you were on county and stuff like that that it, you'll always have these groups like the way we'll have in Dundalk is like you don't want cliques obviously in a team but we'll have car skills coming up from Dublin so you'll have two different cars coming up and they're with each other every day you'll have a Lads from maybe Mead, you'd have a couple of so, groups in town. The group that lives together, and then a few other lads. Um, is that if you if you have leaders in each of those groups, mm-hmm. um, it, it's vital because I know we had a group there a couple of years ago, and there wasn't a leader in them. And you know, there's not many of them left. Um, yeah, and it helps them. It helps the group as well because if you have one lad saying you know keeping themselves in check and and doing everything right and doing the gym work nutrition's on point keeping themselves in shape the others will sort of thing but if, if you have none in that group doing something like that it, it's easy for the rest to follow see yes. in the little groups and little clicks as such you, you need to have at least one leader in each of those groups and by doing that it's just it's breaking your team down into smaller little groups um yeah and it keeps it, it keeps it on track, it's sort of like, like if you have goals, you know, you have a goal for the year, you're breaking it down into monthly or bi-monthly goals, um, that sort of idea behind, and that's something in my head, I think, is vital to, to teams, because no matter what you do, and you try not to have clicks, you will have the younger lads go off together, or if you're playing county football, a few lads on one club will be standing around yapping together, and stuff like that, so,
2: um, I think stuff like that is, is vital, like, yeah, because because it it works it works the opposite way too. You know, you 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 have one bad attitude or one bad apple, if you want to call it that, in 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 a group. You know, it takes one one bad attitude to ruin five other people's attitudes, or five other players' yeah. attitudes, and their work rate and their outlook on their training and the preparation and that sort of thing. So that can really spoil a team. And I've been involved in teams where. You know, one or two players, you know, could have a detrimental effect on the overall group. um, And it it can slowly seep through a team if, you know, if a captain or if a manager or coach or whatever isn't watching out for that. So I know at different stages, different teams I work with, we, you know, you work as little groups on the pitch. So if if you're playing centre-half back, you know, you are as part of a group with your full-back, your midfield, your two-wing wing backs. So that was your control group, if you like, you tried to lead that group. If you were left half forward, you were working with the 40 yards man, you were working with the left half, um, left half back, the left corner forward. So you had a little group in there that you tried to have a positive influence on. So it was these little patches of groups all over the all over the pitch that, you know, they knew what each other's job were, they knew how to motivate each other, they knew, you know, who had to lead, who had to put the arm on the shoulder, who had to give the who to do the talk and all of that sort of thing so that that worked quite well in in some teams as well but um, certainly if you have you'll, you'll always have different clicks. you'll always have little groups within it within a team or within a squad it's making sure as you said is having a certain leader or maybe a group of leaders within that smaller click to make sure that they're all pushing each other because you know a manager or a coach can only do what they can do when they get the players in the door, they can't, they can largely not control when they leave the training ground. It's ultimately up to the players themselves to conduct themselves in the right way. So if you have players themselves taking that ownership and leading each other um, as part of a team, as opposed to being told what to do, it makes it an awful lot easier for, for the team, for the coach and everything else as well.
1: That's massive, Patty, yeah. the player, the player ownership of it. And you mentioned it there, Brian, it, it was Stephen Kenny was there and he that this comes from strong management as well, the enabling these groups and empowering the players. You probably learned from him and Vinny last season yeah,
3: as well. Yeah, big time. Um Stephen was, you know, regiment, he he demanded everything from you, like everything. And then like I said, you're on a couple of hundred quid a week. It's not as if you were, you know, you're professional as such, your your other job was your main thing. Uh then well for me anyway when I went in it was my main earner and uh but he demands everything of you and if you can't give everything or you don't give everything you're not going to last um and over a couple of years you know he weeded out people and he got in his players and his people and his personalities and characters that were suited to to build that team um and like when i think back like the years we had like then and the the players, we did our gym sessions on our own. We weren't professional, like I said, too. You were given your gym sessions to do, and it was like Patty said, you had to go and do it yourself. And then we trained in the evening. Um, and lads were just fierce of Richie Tell, he's an animal in the gym, and even out running, he sent me a session the other day of the try. And like, it's ridiculous. And he, he's still that way and that driven. But when he's coming in, and he's there in the dressing room, and he's flexing and messing, and a big six-pack and that, other lads are thinking, "Jays, I better do an extra gym session or I better do this. You know, whether they're going to say it or not. And uh, the over over a short term of th- uh, time, the conditioning and the physique of the lads just went right up and through the roof. And that's just another way of leadership in terms of Richie. Richie just went and, and did it. And John Sullivan was the same then. He was gone from the club after. I would have done my gym sessions with the two of them in uh, Crumlin in Benjamin. Ben Dunn's gym, so the three of us would do it together, and then you had a group of lads in Dundalk to do it together, and sort of just without even saying that to each other, you're you're pushing each other on and driving each other on, um, and that's what Stephen Kenny installed here. You know, it, it's what he started, and that type of character, personality, and uh, people that are driven
2: and and you know, going kind to of push each other on. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, as, as a as a manager, you yeah probably you would sacrifice a little bit of flair or skill or natural talent for the player in in a lot of times you would take on the player whose attitude is just amazing who's a great around the dressing room who works very hard it's a great positive influence around the team you know as opposed to somebody who's all the talent in the world but doesn't work hard you know it brings other players down and that sort of thing because at the end of the day particularly at the top level of any sport Pure talent isn't going to get you there because everybody has pure talent at that level. It's the little things that separates you. You know, as part of a team, it's togetherness, it's the hard work rate, it's you know the communication, it's leadership. You know, not all players have that, and that that's a very important part of being a top end athlete. And um, it's a more rounded sportsman as opposed to just having talent. Um, talent is 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 brilliant. Everybody wants the talent. But if you don't have the attitude, you don't have the work rate, you don't have leadership, you don't have communication, you can't work part in a team. You know, it's likely you're, you're going to be more of a negative impact on the a team as opposed to actually bringing something to the table. And I, I think a lot of managers would sacrifice a little bit of a little bit of the flair, a little bit of the skill for having those positive players, the positive attitude, the, the leaders around the team, um, and they'd like to build a team around those type of type of individuals as opposed to the flair players. Completely, yeah.
1: I suppose, like yourself, it helps when the best player has those certain attributes as well. When, when yourself, like with the pats and and loud when you were there, you know. Um, there's a question after coming in. I think we'll we'll will more or less wrap it up. But Brian, um, I think everyone wants to know when you're signing for the Omanis or have but, you signed? Uh, to
3: be honest, the- I, I signed. That. I signed. I actually transferred from Bally to the Omanis. I'd say about three years ago or more. Three or four years ago, I, uh, eight doors down from here, the father-in-law, Pat O'Brien lives. So that yeah. was on the table there one day and uh, I signed. Now every year I get told, oh, you'll be playing up here at the end of the season. And I keep dragging out this career. So uh, hopefully it's a few years away. But uh, yeah, I listen, Gaelic was a, a love of mine. And the only reason I stopped playing was because same with basketball, you know, you get to an age and chasing this dream of professional footballer so um you sort of had to give on the other sports. But um it's been years since I've played and I am dying. I can't wait for the day. I suppose that sounds bad when I retire and I can go and play a game
2: of guy as well. So
1: you might regret saying that now, and you're on the point road. And <laughs>
3: Paddy Paddy might be back playing against me, then as
2: well. I'd be the wheelchair at that stage. Oh, you're all like, I'll
3: be in full forward, I won't be anywhere out near you. <laughs> but I definitely
2: won't be anywhere near full back.
1: Who, who did you play with in Ballyboden? Any of those lads who went on and win all Ireland?
3: Yeah, so myself and uh, Mick, Mick McCauley, we oh. grew up together, so, so we were in junior, infant, senior, it's all the way up to sixth class, and then friends after that. So we were both point guards for our basketball team um, and played Gaelic together. And so we grew up the whole way way together, yeah. So uh, Mick would have been, I think the, Mick's the the only one. Darren Nelson was a year or two behind me. He was yeah, on the yeah. panel for a couple of years there. Um, lovely fella as well. But yeah, Mick, uh, if I'm missing someone here, Kev McManaman's from across the way in Jude's. That's the club just on the other side yeah. of the... The road to us, um, so he would have been about our age as well. So, uh yeah, Mick Mick did all right for himself in the end. Yeah, he did.
1: Yeah, <laughs> good job. You, Paddy, Close. marked closely
2: as well. Who's that? Yeah, don't mention don't mention Bally Bowden around uh, around any Pats man. We've better so a few memories. I was, I, was,
1: I was at that
3: game, Paddy.
2: <laughs> yeah, I, trying to put that one in the, in the locker and forget about it.
3: Don't worry, I saw you had a scream against your manies one day. So. I believe. I, I believe the hype. And <laughs> um, lads, just just another question in there from Jamie uh, from Jamie Fowler. Who's the best players you've played against, lads? Paddy and and Brian. Go ahead, there, Paddy. Uh,
2: I suppose for me, I probably answered it during the weekend at <laughs> the, the, the Democrat, have anyone seen that. Um, I think f- from a physicality point of view, uh, a fair majority from from Derry um, probably doesn't get. The national recognition that he probably uh, should have got, he was just, just thought he was just so powerful around the middle of the field, um, under high balls, breaking balls and that, he was just brilliant, and then you knew he was one of those players that was a leader on the on the pitch as well, I I, I never met the guy, so I don't know personally what he was like in a dressing room or anything, but on the, on the pitch he was just commanding Everton, and he was just all over the place, he was just... Uh, Raising players' games all around. him, he was just excellent from that, that point of view. Um, thankfully, he's gone. But myself and John Heston used to have a few good battles as well. He um, he he was just so accurate. He, if he got a ball in any sort of space at all, it was it was over the bar. And I know I've read many stories of him at club level scoring, putting up huge scores um, at club level. So it just shows how accurate and uh, how good of a shooter he was, but or is. Um, so yeah, I think he, he kicked five points off me. I think one day in the championship in in Navan. So uh, I never I never forget that one. I think that was the the most anyone scored off me ever in, in my whole career. So um, yeah, I, I put him up there as well because of because of that day alone for myself. Um, yeah, the
3: European when you when you step up a level into Europe, um, the standard just goes up and up in terms of even intensity, the sharpness, ever to the better. and. Plenty of them are quality, but there's one for at Saint Petersburg is a uh, Giuliano or Giuliano. He was a number ten, uh, and myself and Andy and Tala kept uh, the the no- number nine. Quiet, I forget his name. Uh, he played played for Russia in the last World Cup, and we thought brilliant. But this fella, it wasn't right up against us, but his, his movement in and out was ridiculous. Just the intelligence, you know. As a centre-half, I suppose, for people not familiar w- with football, that as a centre-half, if if you've got somebody going between the defence and midfield, is that when they come up far enough, we'll pick them up. And when they don't, you leave it to the midfielder and you're shouting left shoulder, right shoulder. But this fellow would always be in between. And, you, you know, it has you thinking, and has you guessing, stuff like that. And then when you did try to go in, he turned on a sixpence. He was ridiculous. Uh I was delighted when I saw he's playing number ten for Brazil in the next couple of internationals after we played him. So it uh, didn't feel too bad about him. you know spinning you and different that, but uh is yeah the level of him was was
2: unbelievable. Did did you find when you were playing all those European games that you know you were playing arguably bigger teams and you know professional for a number of years um played in Champions League, played in Europe Europa leagues for for many years before Dundalk got there. That when you actually came up against them one on one, that you realised, Jesus, these actually aren't as good as I I thought they were. You know, we have players, you know, even personally yourself, you, you might have thought, you know, I'm as good as anybody here. Um, you know, did it give you that bit more belief in your own your own level that where 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 you're playing at as a team or individually? Yeah, completely. Um
3: that's the frame of mind we used to go out with. It was, listen, it's just 11 v 11 out there. It doesn't matter, you know, everything in the background, the infrastructure, the money behind them. Uh, like Fitza was playing against us and he was on 30 grand a week or no, no sorry, he moved for 30 million uh, the month or two months after we played against him um, out to China. And uh, you sort of get obsessed with that sort of thing and everything behind. Mm -hmm. But then when you break it down and we do the video and in fairness, the video was done in such a way that in your head, you said, Oh yeah, he's very good. He's good at that. But look, he's actually got a weakness here or he's got a weakness there or he's got this. And uh, the psychology behind it was, was very good. Um, When you, when we look back on it, when I talk back on it is that, and then you grow, you grow into a game and our first Group game away at AZ, AZ Elkmar we were we were brilliant, and mm. we you just and you're playing great pitches, great standards, and I think after that we came along, we like, we belong here, you know. Yeah. Well, why not? And like you said, you come up against lads and you think, well, he didn't do, you know, he didn't impress me. i played yeah. against better. Yeah. Um, and then you come up against a few lads, and don't get me wrong, you say, Jesus, he was unbelievable. Um, yeah that's Johan Bash was playing for Alkmaar that day and he was very good and he gave us a scare early on a couple of times and uh, he signed for Brighton last year for 20 million and you could see that day you know he had something extra um, and a, a couple of different things but yeah you, you sort of you're always knocking yourself and in this country we always seem to knock ourselves compared to to abroad but uh, in the end like you know there's there's not, there's not the vast, vast difference if you have that belief, that hope, and and again, it comes down to your team. It's not about individuals. Yeah. If like you, you look at Liverpool, I suppose that's the best example I can get. And people are saying when he signed players, uh, he's not world class, or what are they paying that money? It's for his system. So it's mm-hmm. about the, t- it's about the team and not the individual, and that brings the best out of the individual in the end because you're putting them in a position and a role that suits them, and. I, I think that was the key to it. You know, we had a team that was that was like that as well. It brought the best out of all of us. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 not a million miles away. But again, it's the professionalism, the dedication, and yeah, I think yeah. a, a big thing for us here is we're not playing against that level every week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you're trying to step up in one go, whereas if you're playing at a, a against a, a more competitive rate every week. Uh, you're going to be better by the time you're going yeah. into Europe, and a year down the line, two years down the line, you're going to the league's going to be better, and every team's going
2: to be better because it's yeah. more competitive games. So, yeah, I I find the same from my own point of view. You know, I, a lot of loud players maybe mightn't have had the uh, experience of playing against you know real top quality opposition. Um, I remember when I went to, to DCU first and. There was All-Ireland winners, All-Stars, Player of the years, everything there in, 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 in DCU at the time, you know, Bernard Brogan, Conor Mortimer, uh, Shawnee Johnson, like unbelievable players. Michael Murphy was coming through as a as first year at the time. You, know, you were looking around this room and all these players had names and, you know, you were maybe a little bit intimidated by some of them, but then when you actually seen them playing, you were thinking, you know, some of the players in the Patsy here are, are as good as any of these players. And, you know, to take the two Reeds in, in, in Mattock, you know, take Shane Lennon, take some of these boys, you know, they were, you know, you'd put them up on a pedestal with any player in the country. And I think it's it's only when you get to see some of these players up close and you see that they are human, that they make mistakes, you know, they're not the polished players that you, you, you might think. And it does give you that little bit more belief that, you know, you can you can live at that level or you can play at that level. And it's, it's unfortunately, it is only when you get to, to play up, up close and personal with them that you realise that it doesn't matter where you're from, whether it's Loud or Dublin or Mead or Dundalk or whatever club or team you're playing with, that, you know, when you do go up one-on-one against some of these players, they're not, you know, you'll always have the exceptional players that will stand out. But, you know, in a large extent, a lot of them are human, they will make mistakes. And, you know, it does help your own, belief and and everything else but you know hopefully from a loud point of view that you know players do have that experience because playing against some of the top players and and realising that you know in loud we can produce as good a players as anybody around the place
1: I'm just raging that me is one of your toughest opponents Paddy to be honest Um, Say that again. I'm just raging you didn't name me as
2: one of your toughest (laughs) (laughs) opponents. I remember you scored scored a goal against me when we were going for two years unbeaten with the Pats. And you you, you sunk a goal when I was marking you. So I'll I'll not forget that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Come here. Thanks a million lads for your time. Brian, best of luck going for your double treble, like the Bulls, another three in a row this season. you get yeah. going, Paddy, congratulations. We didn't mention twenty ten at all. Thankfully, <laughs> and congratulations on your um, independent award. Your number one loud player in the past fifty years. So yeah. Congratulations.
3: We, uh, you weren't, you were with a bit of competition here at Pierce Park.
1: <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> Mind yourself, lads. Peace. take care, listen. Thanks. So what what Brian is referring to there, and uh, just so I clear it up before I I, I thank the lads, and uh, Brian's referring to the brother-in-law John O'Brien. He was well, John O'Brien's omission from it. He was one of the players, the big standout misses from the Irish Independent voted by Martin Browney, and um, the top twenty players in the last fifty years it was done there last week. Might be something I'll delve into, but that's what Brian is referring to. Um. So he's well into touch with his GA, and he will be playing in the Point Road in a couple of years, hopefully probably twenty, thirty, by the time he's finished up with Dundalk and he's uh, ready to don the green and gold jersey down in the Point Road. But um, really good lad, Brian. Um, really comes across very well in the interview. Sound lad and you can see why he's captain of a great club, of a successful club. And why it's happening? For fascinating insight to even his GA background and his his thoughts on um, Michael Jordan's documentary and how what leadership. And then John has a great crack at the start. Really enjoyed John. Uh, good character, great man to follow on Instagram and all those accounts. Um, he's not just your average GA footballer, and he's a serious footballer as well. I, I remember seeing John. I think it was the twenty ten. Under twenty one Leinster final, he gave an absolute catch in high field and clinic that day against a lot of the players that went on to win that um, five in a row with Dublin, uh, senior All Ireland's absolute exhibition. I think the the bottle is with me that day as well. Oh, maybe Paul was Dirty Diesel. Um, he probably get in touch with me uh, about that. But yeah, an absolute serious man to catch ball, serious footballer. Paddy rates him highly. And how refreshing is it to hear from Paddy Keenan. And how agonising was it when he said that he would have loved to have played more for loud. Uh, But you can see why he pushed himself so hard and the body was just not able to take the, the demands he was putting on it. Because he's an amateur. But you can see Brian referred to it as well in terms of being like professional and still pushing himself too hard as well so there's that balance there I hope that came across in the interview I'd like to thank the lads thanks to uh, coaching and games Shane Lennon and are doing great work the webinars have been brilliant I think there's more to follow in June uh, one last shout out for the uh, survey now's your chance to get stuck into me um, all feedback is welcome I've got amazing feedback already off people really constructive really insightful uh, I've taken it on board already. I've shortened the the intro. I uh, hope I wonder if he's noticed. And <laughs> um, a lot of people have said shorten it. It's uh, it's shortened. It will be improved, but step by step. Now's the time. It's supposed to do it. Get all these things out, ironed out and make it a better podcast experience for ye as loud girls and as loud fans, loud supporters, and most of all, loud and proud listeners. So yeah, that's that's the plan. Um, the link is. You'll find it all. You'll find it there. I have it on the podcast or, or any. It's easy to find it on my social media channels. But uh, yeah, it, it it won't take long to do. Um all all the feedback so far is really good. So I'm really appreciative and grateful for people to spend the time to do it and um, help me improve. Uh, yeah. So uh, honest to God, I'm I'm, I'm over. I'm just. Uh, I can't believe it. Uh, I should. Something I should have done ages ago. Yeah, really is because it'll make it better and there's a few things going to be lined up now to make the to Loud and Proud podcast much better experience for yourselves. Thanks very much uh, for another good week, another good week of podcasting. Um, I'll be back as usual next Sunday night again with something new. Uh, mind yourself and if you can, mind someone else too. Bye, see you.